Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we got uh, we got one last preview we got to do here for the season. We've previewed all fourteen teams. We got to come back. And we got to do the whole conference. But first of all, sir, how are you doing? Doing well, buddy. Doing well. Um, excited for this guest tonight for sure. Oh hell yeah, yeah. We we do have a very important guest with us tonight. Um, if you're an OG listener of the Basketball Conference Podcast, you might remember him from a couple of years ago. Mike, you want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, Josh Parcell back on with us, and since the last time he was on with us in the preseason, about two years ago, around this time, uh, he's got a new gig, radio guy at WFNZ, he's got the College Football Country podcast, which he had at that time as well, and Josh is the most popular guy in the ACC Twitter world here in the last couple of days. <laughs> I'm trying to stay out of trouble, you guys, you know, I might turn a pod every now and then, but listen, I've never had a Twitter uh, fight with either one of you, I'd like to that way we'll try to be civil normal is not on this podcast right this isn't like an entrapment scenario here not this episode no <laughs> okay all right he's been on another one as long as you keep us a safe distance away i think we're good <laughs> well well uh i don't know maybe we'll, we'll entertain that for a future date we'll have to see um <laughs> yeah josh it's been a little while so we've we've talked to you it's gonna be great catching up here talking about the acc tonight and kind of previewing the 2019 season as a whole um, did want to want to ask you before we got started here. Have you had a chance to catch up with your buddy Whit Whit Babcock anytime recently? You know, I heard from him. Uh, oh no, never mind. That's right. He uh, he tweeted at me today. Uh, he he uh, it was funny. We had Ross Dellinger of mine from Illustrated last week on my radio show in Charlotte. We were talking about the piece he wrote about Virginia Tech and the turmoil that they had over the last year and a half. And I asked the, the question on Twitter, you know, is Justin's job in danger? We'll talk to Ross about that with And with Babcock, for some reason, sees it five days later and just replies and says, no, Justin's job is not in danger. Kind of, you know, created a little bit of a controversy because that's what we love to do on Twitter is make controversy out of nothing. And, uh, yeah, it kind of put, put to bed. The rumor that Fuente's job is in any sort of danger right now, which we can kind of get into the details of at some point. Uh, but I, I do agree with, with Babcock. So for the people who saw the tweet who think that with Babcock dunked on Josh Parcell, um, we were both doing the dunking. Uh, we are dunking the, the idea that Justin Fuente's job is in any sort of danger based solely on what happened last season. I think we're good. I think you guys are in the clear now. Um... I think, although uh, the Twitterverse, I guess, has a different view of that, Josh, but it's it's neither here nor there. Um, I watched your Periscope. I haven't had a chance to listen to the audio from the interview yet. Looking forward to doing that from, I, I know it was from last week's show, so um, I'd, I'd love to listen to that because I had some thoughts that I recorded on 
a podcast here, um, you know, regarding the Ross Dallinger piece in Sports Illustrated about last year's team. But anyway, onward and upward for Virginia Tech. I guess we're expecting a better year out of the Hokies, at least I certainly am. get into Virginia Tech in some form or fashion during this podcast as we talk about the conference at large, uh, Josh, here. Let's let's get into that. And, and the way that I want to set this up is that I think if we if we wanted to do just your standard preview of, of teams here, we could, we could all probably sit here and say, okay, who do we think is going to win the ACC? Three, two, one, go, and give the same answer all at the same time, right? And so I think there's a lot more to talk about here than just who's going to win the conference, you know, or, or who's the, the best player necessarily. So there's a lot of storylines to keep an eye on that I think are going to be fun. And so I wanted to kind of set it up this way. we got some questions I want to go through that I'm curious to get, you know, your take as well as Mike's take on, on kind of how some of these things are going to work out. So without further ado, you know, we, we think about the conference at large. First question is, what is the single most important position group in terms of how the conference works out. And you could say Boston College's linebackers, Clemson's wide receivers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a single position group that really you feel like is going to be huge make or break in terms of how the conference results, you know, turn out here in three months? I'm looking at the quarterback room in Miami. I think if there's one team in this conference that can even come within – and miles of matching Clemson in terms of talent. It's Miami. Uh, they've just got to have the quarterback play to even give themselves a chance. We obviously know Jaron Williams was named the starter about a week and a half ago. Uh, to me, that was a low-risk move by Danny Diaz, taking a guy that probably will limit the stake, but may not be the same type of game-changer that Tate Martell might have been. Um, so it was a conservative move by Danny Diaz, but it tells me that he just wants quarterback to manage the game. I think that that limits the ceiling for Miami. I'm curious if they were to make a switch at some point this season if they're not happy with 
you know, Williams, could they go to Martell even, or to Josie Perry, who I don't love. But I think if Miami can just good quarterback play, you guys know this. I mean, Miami's been loaded at just about everywhere else on the field except for quarterback in the last couple of years. And that's what's been the difference between them being a legitimate contender and being a team that went 7-6 a year ago. If they get good, solid quarterback play, uh, I know we just talked about Virginia Tech and how I, I do think they should be one of the uh, two favorites in the division. Miami should be the favorite in the division. It's just going to come down to whether or not they can rely on the quarterback. Yeah, that's fair, Josh. Um, I think my the Miami quarterback position group is the one I would point to as well. But for the sake of being different here, I'm going to say Florida State's offensive line. Um, Damn it. Florida, sorry, Joey. Uh, Florida State's offensive line, like Miami's quarterback group, if Florida State gets any sort of production out of the offensive line up front, that offense should be much improved there under Kendall Bryles, uh, the new offensive coordinator there. He hasn't really had a bad offense his entire time as a college offensive coordinator. His offenses have been loaded, and I think if you take into account the health of Florida State up front, if they can just get marginal improvement. It was just such a terrible offensive line a year ago that it just kind of exposed further issues with that team. And it's not the most talented team in the conference. We all know that. And it's not the Florida State of old or even the Florida State of five or six years ago when Jameis Winston was patrolling the sidelines as the quarterback. It's certainly not that same team. But I think that Florida State can take a sizable step forward in 2019 if they get better production up front out of their offensive line. Dang it, Mike. I, I would agree with you, man. I, I, Florida State's offensive line was a train wreck last year. David Hale tweeted out a, had a couple weeks ago. Cam Akers, or I, I think it's just Cam Akers. I think Florida State's running backs had two yards total all season long before contact. It was it, it was absurd. I mean, they just they couldn't they couldn't have any holes in the ground game. They've got an NFL running back in Cam Akers. Couldn't protect the quarterback. They've got to figure out the offensive line. You can have all the talent in the world in the backfield. It doesn't matter if you can't open up holes in the run game or keep your quarterback off the turf. So I, I, I would totally agree with that as well. Thank you. You guys both took probably the top two answers I had. Um, oh, in the, uh, in the interest of trying to be unique here, I guess, unfortunately, I'll go to my, uh, my alma mater. I'll go to Georgia Tech. Um, I think for – man, in terms of most important in the conference, let's, say, let's just say Georgia Tech's defensive line. Um, I'm going to say Georgia Tech on defense, the back seven is, is pretty well set up to actually be a pretty formidable defense, especially with some schemes that will hopefully better utilize talent with Jeff Collins and uh, Andrew Thacker kind of calling the, the shots there. The problem is going to be on the defensive line where there's just basically no experience coming back. And I don't know if they necessarily have all the, the talent and the body types that they're looking for up there. So if you can figure that piece out, and you can complete what should be a pretty dang good defense. And I, I think Georgia Tech could be a little more scary than, than people think, you know, and, and not, not necessarily a threat to win the division or anything like that. But I think at the very least could throw a wrench in a couple of teams' seasons at, at a couple of points. You know, you think of teams like a, a Miami or a Virginia Tech that might be kind of vulnerable at, at times. You know, I, I don't know. This feels like a bad answer, but I'm going to go with Georgia Tech's defensive line. Um, I, I think that that could be a – an interesting group to watch, but I tend to agree with what you guys both said. I mean, Miami's quarterbacks are, are a huge variation point in the conference as well as Florida state's offensive line. Um, I, I think those two are, are kind of probably singularly difference makers in terms of multiple division races. So um, I tend to agree. Yeah. You know, Joey, I, I'm kind of curious to get your thought on that. Like, 
as a Georgia Tech fan, do you care what happens this season? Like, I mean, I just feel like this is such a weird, unique circumstance for a team. Just like a, such a complete overhaul. It's like extreme makeover college football edition. Like, <laughs> it's like if they put three and nine, like I feel like Georgia Tech fans are just like, oh, okay, like. Let's just, we we got to restock the shelves here. I, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like, would you be disappointed if, if a season like that happened? No, not really, honestly. Um, I picked him to go five and seven. I think I, I, I've said since the, the hire was made, basically this, this season is an unqualified success. If Georgia tech goes six and six and makes a bowl game, five and seven is probably a little bit wishful. I think um, our buddy Kelly Quinlan came on for the Georgia tech preview and, and talked him up a little bit and might, might've had us going a little bit, but you know, I, 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 I tend to agree that this is a pretty unprecedented type of transition they're trying to make. And I, I don't know what to expect, you know, reading some of the practice reports, it sounds like the coaches are pretty happy with what they've got and that there's some people that are fairly impressed with what they're seeing. But then again, they're going to step onto the field in Death Valley here in about a week. And uh, I don't know how impressive they're going to look against Clemson. So I, I guess time will tell. I, I'm definitely more interested in seeing that they're, they're better in November than they are in September. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing I want to see. Um, you know, one of the games that sticks out to me on tech schedule, I think it's going to be interesting to watch is the Thursday night NC state game in like late November, getting NC state on a short week, NC state on a bit of a short week as well, coming off of Louisville. I mean, if you can, you get them at home, like if that can be, if you can give them a hard time, maybe find a way to win that game. I think that's a, a great sign moving forward, regardless of basically anything else that's happened. So I think getting away from wins and losses, it's it's really just about that, and whatever else comes is is gravy. I think. Yeah, that makes sense. But all right, so most important position groups, like we got those handled. Let's move on. I want to know not only the most important position group, but now let's say most critical single player to the outcome of the conference. That one player, in terms of maybe even think of it in terms of war, you know. Who's the single most important person that will determine how this conference turns out? Michael, let's start with you. Well, I hate to piggyback off of Josh's answer from the previous question, but I think it's Jaron Williams. Um, and the reason why I say Jaron Williams is because, like Josh mentioned, and Joey, like you and I both know, the Coastal Division is pretty weak. And, um, you know, you mentioned Georgia Tech there and not knowing what to expect. Well, there's a handful of other teams in the Coastal we don't really know what to expect out of. And I think when you look at, Miami and the talent they have across the board and and the big question they've had is a quarterback and I think if they're able to get any sort of production out of that position and you know have a guy who can simply just not throw the ball to the other team just distribute the ball to the many playmakers that they have on offense and you know they got plenty of talent at running back as well I mean this is a very very good team and if they're clicking on all cylinders I think they are unequivocally the best team in the coastal division they're not quite on Clemson's level. They do have some playmakers, though, on offense that uh, can at least match up offensively um, and, and at least close the gap a bit with Clemson on that side of the football. And I think if you get the solid production, the production, obviously, that Manny Diaz is expecting to get out of Jaron Williams, I think that he's a pretty important player to the overall landscape of the ACC this year. And also, I think, would help give the ACC um, – a bit of a better look from a national perspective. I think a lot of people are expecting it to be just kind of Clemson and then, you know, a whole pile of crap after that. And I think if Miami is relevant, if Virginia Tech's good, I, th I think those types of storylines would be good on the other side of the conference in the Coastal Division. So I think Jaron Williams, long story short, is, is the most important player um, in the ACC 
uh, th- in this upcoming season? I could be creative and, and try to say, like, Bryce Perkins, because Virginia will go as far as Bryce Perkins takes them, I think. Uh, but, I, I mean, I have to say Trevor Lawrence, and, and I don't just be Coach Cutter to that to move on. I do have a thought on Lawrence this season. I think he's the most important player to punch in. He goes, um, they're not a national championship team. Uh, there's too much talent at Alabama and Georgia for Clemson to win with an average quarterback. However, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman this year. And I'm also skeptical about Clemson for a couple of reasons. So, so, first of all, with Trevor Lawrence, I don't know what you guys think, but uh, the guy's not going to play in a game that matters after September, what, 16th, whatever that day is, the Syracuse game. Uh, he's not going to play in a game that, that is nationally relevant. They have two games early in the season. Uh, but September 14th, the Syracuse game. Two early games that are going to use A&M and Syracuse, and then they play a bunch of nobodies. Uh, if you're going to win the Heisman Trophy, you've got to play in games down the stretch that matter, or you've got to take the nation by storm at the beginning of the season, like what Lamar Jackson did a couple years ago. And Lamar, was, the reason Lamar kind of captivated everyone is because he came out of nowhere and had that game against Florida State and took our breath away. Nothing that Trevor Lawrence does against Syracuse or against AM where they'll be favored by double digits is going to take our breath away. We already watched the guy from Alabama in the national championship game. So if he has a great game, you know, 350 yards, four touchdowns, everybody's going to say, all right, well, yeah, that's what he's supposed to do. So I don't know that Lawrence is going to have an opportunity past that to really make a statement, whereas I do think a guy like Tua Tagovailoa is going to be playing against LSU on the road, Auburn on the road in November and an SEC championship game potentially against Georgia, he's going to have three opportunities in the last month to have signature highs and moments. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to have those chances. He's also going to have another year next year as a junior. So I'm actually kind of looking at Lawrence as a Heisman winner a year from now. I think they give it to Chuck this year at almost his retribution for what happened last season when Kyler took it from him in the 11th hour. I, I'm a little bit cool on Lawrence as a Heisman player, but of course he's the most important player in the conference to answer your question because if for some reason he struggled or more realistically gets injured, <laughs> that would be uh, a death blow to Clemson in trying to win a second straight national championship. See, I had that same thought, Josh, about Trevor Lawrence possibly answering this question. But to me, if I, if again, if I'm thinking of it from a war perspective in terms of how much different is the, the next guy on the depth chart from, from him, I feel like Clemson can still win this conference without Trevor Lawrence, you know, going, going to Chase Bryant or something like that, right? There's just so much other talent on the field beyond what basically anybody they're going to have is going to have, right? I agree. If we're talking strictly ACC, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, Clemson, I mean, they're littered with the all-ACC preseason team, uh, not just Trevor Lawrence. They've got guys all across the board. So, 100%, you put in an average level. You can put Ryan Willis at Virginia Tech and or, you know, put him on Clemson's roster. They win the ACC. I am for digging, I guess, about that next step for Clemson, which is the bar. Uh, as far as the rest of the league, though, I totally agree. Uh, you know, Miami's quarterback, Mike Perkins, another one. I mean, Virginia lost a lot of weapons around him on offense. They're going to rely a lot on Bryce Perkins this year to win games for them. Uh, I'm skeptical he's that good. Uh, I, I know he's good. I know some Virginia fans believe he's better than Trevor Lawrence. Mike, I think you know that well. But that is, uh, there, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on him uh, to. to live up to the expectation. Virginia hasn't won an ACC title in, what, 30-something years? 
uh, their pick to do it this season, win the Coastal at least, that's going to fall on Bryce Perkins' shoulders. And that's exactly where I was going to go with it. Is Again, to me, Bryce Perkins, especially with how much they've lost and, and knowing – I don't know if I can trust Brennan Armstrong as a backup – I feel really uncomfortable with quarterbacks wearing the number 98, by the way. So that's something to keep an eye on. I, Yeah, I think that we – Virginia is my pick to win the Coastal. That's a, maybe a spoiler for later in this episode. But that the only reason at this point I'm picking them and not picking them to go, you know, 7-5 and five or something is because of Bryce Perkins at quarterback. So in terms of conference results, I, I think to me Bryce Perkins is the guy that if he goes down in week four, it, it just completely changes the landscape of what I expect to happen in the ACC – um, so that's that's my answer. I, I would say maybe one other guy to, to consider would be, and, and maybe a little bit in the spirit of my last answer, would be um, Kenny Pickett at, at Pittsburgh, right? Like a guy who we haven't seen a ton of, but is coming, you know, he's got a new offensive scheme behind him, some some supposedly better coaching coming. Pittsburgh's a team that some people, you know, think they, they could do some damage at times. I haven't totally seen it, and a lot of it comes down to that, that Kenny Pickett, you know, inconsistency. So, I think he's another guy to consider here is if, if he all of a sudden has a really good year, that probably changes a lot of people's perspectives on, on what we think is going to happen in the Coastal Division. So someone else to think of there. Yeah. Uh, Mike, anything else? You ready to move on? Yeah, I'm good, buddy. I, I agree. I mean, I think your, uh, your Kenny Pickett answer was, was good as well. Um, a guy who I wasn't even really considering. But when you consider the weapons that Pittsburgh's lost, specifically at running back, you know, their entire – essentially their t- entire offense was confined between Claudio Olsen and Darren Hall last year. You'd lose those two guys. You need Kenny Pickett to step up and I- at least take a step forward in the passing game where he's really struggled. Um, he's been a bona fide game manager here throughout his first couple of years at, at Pittsburgh and short of that Miami game uh, a couple of years ago to knock Miami off the national pedestal. Uh, they really haven't done a whole lot with Kenny Pickett at quarterback. So, that yes, they won the division last year. I get it, but um, they need more production out of Pickett if they want to take the next step and be a little bit more successful here in 2019. Why do I have a feeling at this point that one day Kenny Pickett's headstone is going to say, "Also had that one game against Miami." <laughs> like that, that's all anybody wants to talk about at this point in terms of his credentials. Is like he had that one game against Miami where they were undefeated. A reason to improve. A reason to improve. <laughs> you can have that belief. Um, well, we're talking about quarterbacks. Let's go ahead and talk about this one. Um, my, I would contend right now that the ACC, you've got two quarterbacks that people think pretty highly of in terms of, again, Trevor Lawrence and Bryce Perkins. There's 12 others that is a complete mixed bag, and, and I would say mixed bag at best, um, if not a lot of meh or something like that. You know, So if we're going to say that there's going to be a third quarterback in the ACC who has a bit of a breakout year and really establishes himself as a, a really solid player in the conference – Who's that quarterback that we're looking at? Who do you think it's going to be this year, Josh? Man, that's a tough question. <laughs> There's uh, slim pickings right now. I'm going to say Jamie Newman. I was torn between him and Sam Howell. But Jamie Newman at Wake was named a starter. Now he's probably going to end up spending some time with Sam Hartman. Uh, it was a tight battle in camp to win that job. I thought both of them, you know, proved themselves last season. But Newton did win three or four down the stretch. Wake Forest, when Hartman went down, uh, he's a junior, has the experience. Wake is a team that could quietly get off to a brilliant start. And this is why I, I'm going to say J.B. Newman instead of Sam Howell, because I didn't know Carolina could end up with four, maybe even 0-5 to start the year. Meanwhile, Wake Forest, they've got an interesting opener against Utah State. That's not an easy win, but I do think Wake wins that game at home. Rice, North Carolina at home, 
Elon, and then at Boston College, then Louisville, uh, coming off a of bye. There is a chance, guys. Wake Forest, we could be talking about a 6-0 Wake Forest team welcoming in Florida State October 19th to, uh, to, to Winston-Salem. I don't know, guys. I, I feel like if that happens, I mean, it, it'll almost be like those Northwestern teams of like, well, I don't know, like eight, nine, ten years ago. It felt like there was a couple times where Northwestern was undefeated in the middle of October and they placed basically nobody. But everybody's starting to wonder, ooh, could this team like shake it up and be a dark horse contender, you know, to make a playoff? And then, of course, they finished like 8-4. But I can see Jamie Newman and Wake Forest getting off to a hot start. I'll go with them. I, I like uh, Dave Clawson's offense. I like what they've been bringing back Dave would be a great receiver. I'll say Newman has a good year. God, I will gladly be the conductor of the Wake Forest playoff hype train. Let's get it started. I am here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, Mike, I'll go ahead now yeah. if you're good with that. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Tommy DeVito. I think Tommy DeVito is – not only we know he's a talented guy, we know he's got to replace Eric Dungey up there at Syracuse. Got some reps in last year. Was Again, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Had a couple real good games. Had a couple of freshman moments and that kind of thing. He steps in now as, as the starter. And assuming he can stay healthy, I think he is in a really, really good spot to to establish himself, to get, to quote-unquote, get comfortable and, and really show some people what he can do. I, I mentioned on our Syracuse uh, preview show that, to me, Tommy DeVito and the role that he's walking into right now is really, really reminiscent of the role that Justin Thomas walked into on the 2014 Georgia Tech team. Justin Thomas is a new, a first-time starter in a Georgia Tech team coming off of a decent season, but basically it was Justin Thomas as a, as a rising sophomore surrounded by seniors as far as the eye could see at skill positions and on the offensive line. And so it was one of those years, you know, that's the, the, the Orange Bowl Georgia Tech team, and, like, that was where – it, you, you see the power of juniors and seniors that are littering your roster in college football when you can you can kind of capitalize on that um, on that experience. I think that's the same opportunity that Tommy DeVito has this year. He's got his running back back in Moneal. He's got basically all the receivers back. He's got guys, again, surrounding him that have played a lot of college football and, and will really be able to help him. Not to mention we talked about that we expect them to have a fairly good defense. And Syracuse, we know by now that they can score some points, and, and that defense continuing to improve means they could be legitimately dangerous. Um, them getting Clemson at home a week after uh, Clemson has to play Texas A&M, I mean, that's a dangerous spot for the, for the Tigers, probably arguably as dangerous a spot as they're going to see all year. As, as you mentioned, Josh, I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of nothing after that, but getting them in the Carrier Dome a week after A&M is going to be pretty dangerous. So, I'm going to go with Tommy DeVito. I think he's in a great spot here. He's a talented guy, and, and I, I think that Dino Babers in that offense is going to have him succeeding, and we're going to be talking a lot more about him in, in November than we were right now. Love that pick. Yeah, I, I, love the, I love both of those answers. I'm going to go with Ryan Willis from Virginia Tech. Um, look, guys, he had 2,700 yards passing last year quietly, right? 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions coming in in relief of Josh Jackson when, we, when he went down early in the season, and – you know, Virginia Tech's got talent returning up front. They have a ton of talent receiver. Um, the receiver position might be one of the deepest in the conference, maybe second behind Clemson. Maybe, you know, if we're getting nitpicky, maybe third behind Miami. It's a very deep receiver group. And I think Ryan Willis has a perfect opportunity to take a step forward here in 2019. We assume that he's going to be the starter at Virginia Tech. Justin Fuente is playing his usual smoke and mirrors game that he loves to play with the quarterback position every year. Hendon Hooker's been splitting reps in camp with Willis, but I think everybody expects Willis to ultimately be the starter in the opener against Boston College here in about a week and a half. 
But I think Willis, you know, having a full offseason to develop, having data points as a player at Virginia Tech to point to, film to study, uh, an offseason to develop chemistry with a pretty young receiving core that uh, should only get better heading into 2019. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of guys who are going to be able to emerge on the outside for the Hokies. And I think it sets up really well for Ryan Willis to have a great year. Uh, all the hype's been around Trevor Lawrence. It's It's been around Bryce Perkins for obvious reasons as Virginia's been picked to, you know, win the, win the Coastal Division in the preseason picks. But uh, I really like the opportunity that's in front of Ryan Willis. I think he has a chance to be very good this year. And I think a lot of the conference is sleeping on it because of it. I tend to agree with that pick. I really like what I saw from Ryan Willis as he stepped in there midseason last year. I, I think he he brought a stabilizing element. And the more time that he spends there at Virginia Tech, I think the better he's going to get. Um, I, I think that's getting getting some better play from him, I think, than what you got from Josh Jackson before is going to make a pretty big difference for the Hokies. So we'll have to see there. Um, I think the other quarterback name that I was just going to bring up real quick that I, I thought of here was James Blackman at Florida State. Again, kind of thinking through what a scheme change and a healthy offensive line might mean for him. Again, a guy that would be surrounded by a ton of skill talent. It's just a matter of distributing the ball. And uh, we'll have to see if he can hold off Alex Hornibrook for uh, the starting job. But as uh, as, our, as our buddy James Coleman told us in the Florida State preview, if if if, if we ever get to a point where Alex Hornibrook's in the game for Florida State, either someone someone is probably in trouble or uh, seriously, seriously injured. So we'll have to keep an eye on that situation. Oh, man. Remember what Florida State was good? <laughs> yeah, they were good one time, and now we're talking about Alex Hornibrook as a viable option at quarterback, potentially. I mean, what, what is happening? Man. All right, well, we'll see if Willie can get that fixed. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's move on here. A bit of a different conversation. The coach that this year is the most important for. So you, you look at you kind of look at this in a, in a couple different ways. Maybe this is – um, a guy trying to prove himself, a guy trying not to get fired. Maybe it's a guy trying to get a better job, something like that. I mean, it could be anything. If there's one coach, you know, of these 14 teams that this year is the most important for, who are you going to say that is, Josh? Man, there are a few different ways you could take this. I think there's three kind of candidates, and they all kind of have different reasons why. Just before I say jump to mind, kind of already touched on that a little bit. I think this is a rebound year for Virginia Tech. Uh, if they struggle against a, I mean, you could not dream of an easier schedule than what the Hokies had this year. Uh, if they struggle with that, Wednesday all of a sudden his job is in pretty imminent danger. Uh, now, Willie Tacker could be gone at the end of the season if Florida State doesn't get back to at least like eight wins. I, I think if Florida State does not turn this thing around and show that it's headed in the right direction, I think they could pull the plug on Willie Tacker really quickly. Uh, but the guy that I'll say is Dino Babers. If, if Syracuse can get a second straight 10-win season, especially if they somehow upset Clemson in week three in the Carrier Dome. Dino Babers can pick whatever job he wants at the end of the season. And USC is one of those jobs that could very well be open. He's a West Coast guy. I thought last season, I get why Miami hired Danny Diaz. I don't have a problem with that hire. But I would have loved for them to kick some tires on Dino Babers. I mean, the amount of energy that that guy brings the kind of swagger that he brings here reminds me a lot of Tom Herman from a few years ago when Herman was doing big things in Houston. He, he pulled off upset after upset. He coaches his teams with a chip on their shoulder, and he's got an electrifying offense. So I, I think, you know, Babers, he's got the pieces in place. You guys touched on it earlier. This is an important year for him. If he can prove that he can sustain this 
post Aaron Dungey. I think he might have a better quarterback than the guy you just mentioned a few minutes ago, Tommy DeVito. I'm looking at Dino Babers potentially using this even as a launching pad to become the hottest coach in the country come December. Don't hate that answer. Um, I think for the points that you just made, I think that's uh, that's totally fair. I think Dino Babers is a guy that's not long for Syracuse, and it's for all the right reasons. It's because of what he's built there in his short time uh, there uh, with the Orange. My pick's Willie. <clears throat> my pick's Willie Tiger. Excuse me. Without a doubt, um, this is a program that he walked into, um, essentially burning from the Jimbo departure. A school that needed an athletic facility desperately finally gets one built. Florida State struggles last year with towering expectations, fair or not, for Willie Taggart. They did not look very good all year long. Miss a bowl game for the first time in a very long time, uh, about 30 years. So that's enough to put you uh, on notice when you're a first-year head coach. And Florida State's not going to be patient. You know, the fan base certainly isn't going to be patient. They expect excellence because of what Bobby Bowden built there. Uh, in the 90s, obviously, and then what Jimbo Fisher was able to parlay that success into in his time at Florida State. And now you move to Willie Taggart, who struggles to get to six wins, and there are a lot of question marks there. Sure, they had plenty of injuries. We talked about the issues with the offensive line. I think they'll be in a better spot heading into the year on the offensive side of the football with an offensive coordinator uh, in Kendall Bryles that more aligns with what Willie Taggart wants to do on that side of the football, and I think that will help. But I think the most important job in the in the ACC and the position that we need to monitor this year is the one at Florida State with Willie Taggart, just seeing what he's able to do here in year two. Because like you said, Josh, you know, Florida State is certainly a job that could come open at season's end uh, if Florida State doesn't reach that seven, eight, nine win mark. They, they can win seven games, in my opinion, and still keep Willie Taggart. It depends on how the losses look, though, in my opinion. And, you know, we knew it's a lengthy rebuild, but we have to see uh, kind of what this looks like in year two. If it looks anything like year one and Florida State struggles to get to six or seven wins, then maybe it's a little bit different conversation. But say Florida State wins seven games and they lose a couple of heartbreakers, but you can see that things are heading back in the right direction. I think they'll give Willie Taggart another year, but that's definitely a position that we'll want to monitor. Yeah, it almost feels like it's an optics thing as much as anything with Florida State. Is I mean, last year they just looked so dysfunctional. You know, and, and you think that with the offensive line getting healthy, hopefully getting some better coaching and then playing in a bit of a more potent scheme uh, with Kendall Bryles, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm at least very tempted to think that Florida State's going to be a lot better this year, but there's also a lot of reason for skepticism of can teams really make more than like a two-win jump in any given year, or in, in most years, we'll say. Um, so I, I think there's, there's something to, to kind of consider there. I, for my coach, this is the most important year for – I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction and I'm going to go with a guy that's been in my, uh, in my crosshairs for a long time. And for probably reasons that a lot of people would have a hard time explaining, I'm going for Dave Doran in Raleigh. Um, Dave Doran coming back off of, you know, a couple of nine win seasons, but as we profiled a little bit ago, that's a two nine win seasons with the talent level that is otherwise indicative of teams that have been winning 10, 11, 12 games, you know, going to the playoff, playing in new Year's six bowls. Um, that he he now comes back without Ryan Finley, without a bunch of skill talent and offensive line talent. They're basically still partially having to rebuild the defense. He's lost his offensive coordinator to, to Appalachian State. Dave Doran now has to come back and, and continue to prove that he has built a stable, you know, high-performing program in, in Raleigh, and it wasn't just a, a one- or two-year flash-in-the-pan kind of thing. I'm really curious to see what they can be you know, do they just fall back into the pack and, and become the wolf pack? Good job, Joey. Um, fall back and.
Thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, if they fall into like fourth and fifth place in the Atlantic, I, I got to think that that's being some pretty remarkably disappointing position for a guy that, again, had a, a wild amount of talent and could never quite win 10 games with it. Um, a guy that's lost to Wake Forest each of the last two years with a quarterback that got drafted, wide receivers that were drafted, uh, offensive linemen that were drafted. I mean, it was it was all over the place, you know, so I think I, I want to see some consistency and some continued good performance from them. And if that's if they get that. I think that, that that's indicative that he's probably a better coach than I'm giving him credit for, or that that's a more reliable program that I'm giving him credit for. But on the other end of it, you know, as you mentioned with Justin Fuente, if things don't turn around this year and kind of go a little bit downhill, I, I think Dave Doran could find himself on the hot seat is like, you had as much talent as, as you ever could want and you didn't quite get over the top with it. I, I think then stepping into this year where there's maybe a more return to the mean level of talent, it, it might not look so good. So that's uh, that's the position I think I'm keeping my eye on, eye on for reasons that I, I've laid out numerous times on this podcast by now. Don't hate it. That's interesting. That's interesting. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but you know, in any case, that's that's where I'm going. Um, I want next question is kind of a, a related one, and I think there's probably an obvious answer here, but I think there's a couple maybe less obvious answers as well. Um, if, if we're coming back, Josh and Mike, and we're going to have this conversation in five months, and there's one coach that's been fired in the ACC, who's the most likely coach in your mind? And Mike, try not to repeat your answer with Willie Taggart. No, I I won't. Um, the the coach for me is Steve Adazio. Um, Dang it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, look, seven and five is a fine bar at Boston College. He's hit it so many different times, and he's been able to get contract extensions, and he's been able to stick around. And they have A.J. Dillon at running back, right? But outside of that this year, and, of course, Anthony Brown at quarterback, like what is coming back at, at Boston College that makes you think that this is going to be anything better than a six and six campaign? I, I think, in my opinion, this is – going to be a team that does not make a bowl game in 2019 I think they win four maybe five games and the reason why I think that is because they've relied on their defense for so long I don't think their defense is going to be quite as good as it's been here over the last few years I think they're going to be more reliant and dependent on the offense to produce and that's fine as long as you have A.J. Dillon in the backfield but he got banged up a bit last year wasn't the same running back down the stretch and I think if you're riding him too heavily early in the season you know, this is a guy who's been a workhorse for Boston College. He's been a very capable and durable running back. But if you have an injury in the backfield, you have an injury to quarterback with Anthony Brown, and you're relying on the offense to have most of your team's output and, you, you know, most of their reliability is on that side of the football. I'm not sure that's a winning formula at BC, especially this year. I, I don't love Boston College. I think if there's one team to keep an eye on for purposes of the seat coming open and the position coming open, I, I do think that it's up at BC with Steve Adazio and it's been a popular one for quite some time, but I think he's the guy I definitely keep an eye on with the regression and talent on the defensive side of the ball and the heavy reliance on AJ Dillon. I think it's a bad formula, especially if there's an injury there. So you've got yeah, the, they, they, lost, they lost a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, line of scrimmage wise. I think that that's something that cannot be overlooked. It's, you know, Lightstrom's back out with some of those guys on the line. That's going to be a, a, those are huge boys. They got to replace this year. I do have one one important reminder for you, Mike. Dudes to the right, dudes to the left, in the middle with you. You can't forget. You can't forget. Dudes on the right, dudes on the left. I love it. Always. Always. Uh, Josh, where are you going with this one? You know, it's funny, man. For a conference that is kind of looked down upon nationally, 
most of the schools in the conference feel pretty good about their coach. I mean, obviously you have four brand new ones, so those guys aren't in trouble. Dino and Clemson, I mean, those guys, those are all good. Willie Taggart is the obvious one. Adazio is another one that, you know, I, I like where you're going with that, Mike. Uh, I, I guess I'll say Narduzzi at Pitt. I mean, Dang it. really accomplished anything at Pitt. I mean, if you want to tell me winning at Coastal last year is, is an accomplishment, um, okay. <laughs> I mean, they were 6-6. Six and six. Uh, They backed their way into that game. Uh, they're the only Power 5 school that lost to North Carolina last year. Um, I, I, I just, I'm not impressed with what Narduzzi has done at Pittsburgh yet. Uh, he came in as supposed to be a defensive mastermind. The first several years at Pitt, it, it was the offense that carried them. Uh, last year, defense was a little bit better, but uh, I, I don't see this Pitt team really threatening in the Coastal Division. Um, I know you talked about Kenny Pickett earlier, and, and yeah, there's a lot on his shoulders, but the loss of you know 2,000-yard rushers, I, I just don't know that you replace that that easily. They've replaced four starters on the offensive line, too. I, I, I could see Pittsburgh being a team that you look at the end of the season, all of a sudden this team is 4-8, and, and, and you wonder, what has Pat Carduzzi really done at then? I mean, are they any better off now than they were when he took over? I know that they had a lot of instability for a while as head coach, and at least he's been able to offer that, uh, and there's value in that. But, I mean, Pitt, Pitt should be a pretty good program. There's a lot of pride there. They, they have tradition. They have history. There's a legacy of winning, and there's talent in the state. Uh, I think that if Narduzzi takes a step, a big step back this year and misses a bowl game, I don't know if he's gone, but I think that his seat all of a sudden becomes incredibly warm going into 2020. I, I completely agree, and we, we've discussed that quite a bit on here, Josh, is that as much as a team is coming off winning a division, like, if I'm a Pitt fan right now, I'm, I'm a little bit standing around with my hands up, like, you know, we're going into year five, and we just barely won a division by, you know, in a way kind of getting lucky, you know, they got good just right at the very right time, but otherwise kind of got stomped there at the end of the year a couple of times. And I, there's, there's a lot of questions in that program right now that you would hope would not be there at this, this point in his tenure. Uh, and you wonder if that, that stability is going to be there, as you mentioned, without Quadri Allison and, and Darren Hall coming back. Um, so we'll have to see. That that was going to be also my a uh, little bit off the wall answer. Him and, and Steve Adazio were my, my two primary choices there. Um, but aside from the obvious, Willie Taggart, I you know I think he's kind of the obvious option. Mostly just knowing that last year they ended like a thirty six year bull streak, and and it, it's, a, it's not a good way to introduce yourself to the program. But um, I think short of you know, Manny Diaz or someone getting caught handing money to a recruit and, and getting fired over something egregious like that. I, I don't know what, what else there is. Cause you're right, Josh. I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot of uh, content nature, I guess, with a lot of the coaches in the conference. Um, one of the things to consider, I guess, is that there are even a couple of teams that have traditionally been, we'll call them quote unquote basement dwellers that are performing reasonably well right now. I mean, you know, David Cutcliffe and Duke, even with a rough schedule, we, we can see them potentially making a bowl game, and that's a pretty egregious thing to have thought 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, Dave Clawson's got Wake Forest churning, and, and I mean, there's there's a number of these programs, plus you mentioned the, the, the turnover. I, I I guess I got to think that those are probably your three primary options there are, are Adazio, Narduzzi, and, and Willie Taggart, and I'm not necessarily sure that any of them will get fired. I think Adazio is probably in as much danger as anybody, if not in, in the most. But 
I don't know there necessarily will be any coaching turnover. And if there is, it might be someone like Adino Babers getting hired elsewhere. You know, so that, that might be the only source of turnover we're looking at moving forward. Exactly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Mike, anything else? Ready to move on? Yep, ready to move on. Good. Let's go for it. Um, all right. Uh, last big question that I'm I'm curious to get your all's takes on. Um, let's say that you know both of you guys are Virginia Tech guys. I'm a Georgia Tech guy. So aside from our teams, who's the team in the conference that you're the most interested in? That that might look different. That might have a a bit of a swing year where they you know have a high ceiling and a low floor. You know what? What's the team that you're really looking to watch this year that you're really intrigued to see what they are, other than the Hokies for you guys and other than Georgia Tech for me? Virginia. I mean, so I, I don't know what you're thinking, Mike, but this team picked to win the Coastal Division. Uh, they've proven nothing to me that, that says that they can win the division. I mean, last year they go 8-5. They beat teams like Richmond, Ohio, Duke. Uh, Carolina, Liberty, I mean, what, like, other than winning a meaningless bowl game against South Carolina 28 nothing, in which several South Carolina players were sitting out, what have they done to prove that they're the best team in the division? All the while, this team was 10th of the ACC in total offense, scoring offense. They lose basically half their starters. I know they bring back Bryce Perkins, but they also lose Jordan Ellis. They also lose Olavide Zacchaeus. Like, they lost some of their big, biggest playmakers. From an offense that wasn't that great a year ago, I, I just think that if you're talking about sheer talent, top to bottom on the roster, Virginia Tech and Miami both have Virginia beat. And to me, I think that Bryce Perkins is the is the X factor. If Bryce Perkins can uh, improve on what he did last season, where he grew from 2,700 yards, ran for almost 1,000, then maybe Virginia's in the conversation. I think Virginia could beat Miami. I think they could beat Virginia Tech. But I don't think that they can win six games in the ACC. I think they're going to lose games along the way. And for that matter, I, I, I'm selling my stock on Virginia as a, as a favorite in the division. Um, and Bryce Perkins might be the one to change that. But they're, they're the team that, you, that I think is of the most interest to be in the conference. It's the first time they've gone into a year with legitimate expectations in a really, really long time. I mean, how long has it been since Virginia has had expectations like this where they've been picked to win the Coastal and, you know, they're a team that was on many people's ballots. You know, they ultimately, you know, first of all, preseason top 25s don't matter. That's a whole nother tangent. But they were on a lot of people's ballots to, to be a team in the top 25. We haven't talked about Virginia in that light in a really, really long time. So that's I think that's an obvious answer. Um, the team to me and, and Joey, I'm going to go ahead here. Um, the team to me that is of most intrigue is Wake Forest. And Josh alluded to this earlier. Um, they have Jamie Newman at quarterback. Yeah, Jamie Newman at quarterback. The steam and deeks, baby. Um, a relatively easy schedule out of the gate. They're returning a lot of talent on offense and defense, and they were very good last year. They have one of the best coaches, in my opinion, in the entire country, and Dave Clawson. He's a guy who's come into Wake Forest. Wake Forest has 
no expectations to be any good at football. He enters the fray at Wake Forest and now consistently puts out a great product year in and year out relative to what Wake Forest was before he got there. He's recruiting well to a school that's very, very hard to recruit to. You're selling a football program in the state of North Carolina, you know, going up against, you know, teams like North Carolina, Duke, NC State. It's hard, right? And, um, you know, a lot of the talent in North Carolina wants to go to Virginia Tech. They want to go to Clemson. They want to go to Miami. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep talent in state there. And more importantly, it's hard to recruit the talent in state to go to Wake Forest and you know, Dave Clawson's finding a way to do it. And, and I think that's something that's very impressive there. So Wake Forest is a team that could, they could sneak up on some people this year, Virginia Tech in particular. They got a, a November game against the Hokies that I think could get interesting in Blacksburg if things are clicking on all cylinders for Wake Forest. And they're a very well-coached team to keep an eye on. And I think they're a team that could definitely sneak up and be one of the top two or three teams in the Atlantic before it's all said and done. And nobody's expecting that out of them this year, by the way. I think they're picked second to last in, in the – in the ACC uh, Atlantic division, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a team that not many people are high on heading into the year, but I certainly am. I think they have a lot of talent there on that roster and the coach to make it happen. Got to find somebody to replace Greg Dortch. Got to fill in that Dortch report. Kendall, Kendall Hinton, baby. boy, Kendall Hinton. There you go. The quarterback, uh, the, uh, the quarterback position change there. Um, I have two that I want to, I'm, I'm curious about for very different reasons. Really, there's there's three of them. I don't even know which one I want to pick. Um, one of them I, I am very curious to see is your all Virginia Tech Hokies um, and, and kind of a lot of the turnover that's gone on there this season. And, you know, knowing and watching them last year and feeling like there was a lot of dysfunction in what I was watching, like, is all of that being eliminated by some of these guys being flushed out of the program? At, at, at just a basic level, I'm curious to see that. Um, speaking of fixing dysfunction, I'm very curious to see Florida State and, and seeing if they can get their offensive line woes fixed and if they can actually be a threat, I mean, I think the talent is there. It's just a matter of getting, you know, getting the buy-in from, from some of the players and mostly just, again, fixing some scheme and some, some health issues that were there a lot of, for a lot of last year. So them I'm curious about. I think the team I'm going to go with here that I'm actually the most curious to see, and it might be just purely like morbid curiosity slash like wanting to watch some really good TV, is I want to watch UNC. I want to know what the North Carolina Tar Heels look like in this this thing under uh, Phil Longo and Jay Bateman is just fascinating to me. Um, there's there's a, kind of a, a bit of a, a scheme clash that we're t- we've talked about pretty extensively on here at, at a couple of different occasions that it it doesn't really feel like you know the the scheme that Bateman was coaching at Army is necessarily going to mesh super well with the scheme that Longo is going to bring in and coach on offense, you know and. So an off, a defense that's been poor in, in Chapel Hill before, can they really get any better by taking the offense even more up-tempo and more extreme in terms of three and outs and uh, quick possessions? I'm really curious. You know, It sounds like they're going to go full youth movement. They've, they've already named Sam Howell their starting quarterback. Um, he's coming in. He's a true freshman. He flipped from Florida State like on signing day. I, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch, just watching that guy try to throw it down the field in, in college games early on. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what UNC looks like and, and see if this Mac Brown era is going to work out. I, I don't know necessarily how much we learned this year, but again, speaking about teams being better in November than they are in September, I think that's got to be one of the big things you're really hoping for if you're a Tar Heel fan is that uh, you see some development throughout the year, especially as some of these young players get so much involvement here uh, right out the gate with, with, with Tar Heels. So that's, that's 
again, I think at least in terms of TV watching and games that are going to have a whole lot of points scored in them, I think that's that's what you're looking for as a North Carolina game. I love it. Man. All right. Um, I think that's all we've got in terms of some of these more narrative-driven questions. Let's move on to the, uh, I guess, more technical conference preview here for just a second. Um, I think it's probably going to be uh, fairly quick if we say, who do we think here is going to win the Atlantic division? Josh, in one word, who do you think it's going to be? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Yell it for everybody to hear. Uh, yeah, Clemson. Yeah, one more time for the people in the back. Um, uh, yeah, don't overthink this one. It's, it's Clemson. Uh, more, more importantly, and I've already told you guys, I've got Virginia coming out of the Coastal. I'm, I'm a little bit tempted to peg you – Josh, as a Virginia Tech guy, I think you're going to take Virginia Tech here. I, I, I want. I, I, I'm confused. I, I, I can't make up my mind. Uh, I hate preseason predictions, uh, even though I make them every year. I want to say Miami. Uh, I'm going to say Virginia Tech. I am, and Nailed it. I, I pick my I pick Miami back at, at the beginning of the month. We're at ACC kickoff. When they announced Garrett Williams the starter, it, like I said earlier, I, I felt like it lowered Miami's ceiling a little bit. I'm not saying it was the wrong choice. I just feel like with this kind of move, I, I, I don't trust Miami to take care of business in eight conference games. And for Virginia Tech, I know they go on the road to Miami, um, which is should be a Miami win. I just think Virginia Tech is going to be so much better defensively than they were a year ago. They certainly can't be any worse. And offensively, they bring back a lot of talent. Justin Flint, they never had trouble putting points on the board, even last season. So I'm going to conservatively say Virginia Tech, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Miami's there. I, I don't have a hot take on this one. I think it's one of those two teams. I'll tell you it's not going to be. I, I hate to disagree with you, but I, I, I can't see Virginia coming out of that division. Oh, come on. Seven teams in seven years. you got to believe in the storybook ending here, Josh. <laughs> well, for the story, I mean, it would be the most ACC thing ever. Don't get me wrong. You guys know that well. But uh, I just I, I can't see it happening. And I and I, I don't want to be the Virginia Tech homer who says Virginia's not going to be good. I think Virginia could beat the Hokies. I do. But you ask me if they can win the division, that means they've got to probably go at least five and three, maybe six and two. I'm just not sold out on that happening. Interesting. All right. Well, Mike, where are you? Uh, where are you at here? So, Joey, I think I've mentioned this on a couple of the preview podcasts. I, I think it's pretty clear heading into the season that in the Coastal Division, it's going to be a round robin, right, between Virginia, Miami, and Virginia Tech, and which one of those three teams is able to win two of those games, right? I don't think one and one gets it done for any of them. And I think one of these teams is going to end up beating the other two. And I think that's what's ultimately going to decide the division. Miami gets Virginia and Virginia Tech at home, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know they get the Hokies at home anyway. Um, yep. And look, I think getting those two games at home is very important. Uh, Josh, I agree with you with the ceiling comment with Jaron Williams. Like, we don't know exactly what this guy's going to be, but we had uh, Cam Underwood on, who's, who's our buddy, who writes for State of the U, and he's really well tied in there to the Miami program. And he said something along the lines of, look, Jaron Williams is a guy who's not quite as flashy, but he's also like a more known commodity, at least in practices um, at, down there in Miami. So I, I think from that standpoint, you're absolutely correct based on what the beat writers have been saying and people who cover the team. I think Jaron Williams 
you know, you have a little bit of a lower ceiling. It's not quite as flashy. Nikosi Perry might have a bigger arm, and Tate Martell is more of like the Johnny Manziel element where he can make something out of nothing, at least if you're looking at his high school tape and what he did uh, in, in limited playing time elsewhere, right? But I'm going to go with the Hurricanes to win a division. I, I think they have the most talent on both sides of the football, and the big unknown is quarterback. And I think if they get some improvement there – you know, getting both Virginia Tech and UVA at home, I think, is huge. I don't trust the Hurricanes either. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think Virginia Tech, you know, I do think they'll be better on defense. I think they'll be about the same on offense, maybe a little bit better. And I think there's an opportunity given their schedule and who they have at home. I think there's a chance for them to, to definitely take a step forward and have a chance to win the division. But Miami's got the most talent. Um, I'm going to go with that for this pre this meaningless preseason prediction. Um, I'm the same way. I hate preseason top 25s. I hate preseason picks, but I'm going to make this one. I'm going to go with the Hurricanes again to win the division. Um, I, I can't see UVA beating Virginia Tech. I, until it happens, I'm not going to believe in it. And I think if UVA loses to Virginia Tech, I don't think they're going to the ACC championship game. So I don't know if it'll come down to that at the end of the year, but you know, certainly if they lose that game, I think it'll knock them out of contention. So until that happens, I'm not going to believe in UVA um, other than the narrative. But I do think Bryce Perkins is very good. I, I do think they have an opportunity to win the division. Uh, but if you, you know, gun to my head right now, I'm going to pick Miami just because I think they have the most talent on both sides of the football. Yeah, to me, and I'll reiterate something I've said before, the, the, Virginia, the Virginia pick, as much as part of it is just purely loving the storybook ending again uh, of the, the ACC Coastal uh, Roundtable here, um, there's also an element to me. I don't know that I necessarily believe that Virginia has a particularly high ceiling. You know, I, I don't think that there's any point in the season where we're going to start talking about Virginia playoff contender, even if they do go and win the Coastal Division. But what I do also think is that they have a fairly high floor in a year where I don't know who we can really trust in the Coastal Division other than maybe them. You know, um, there's a lot of teams undergoing a lot of change and with a lot of questions to answer that. I think in a lot of ways, Virginia has answered. Um, and so I, I think they're going to be fairly consistent. They seem fairly well coached. And I, I don't know what their best performance looks like, but I know generally what their worst performance looks like. And it has them in games and, and able to win them. So I think that's part of my theory, too, is that they have gotten good enough at the right time. And um, sure enough, I think we're going for uh, seven different coastal champions in seven years. And I, I am absolutely in love with that because you are correct that is the uh the most acc thing i think i've ever heard josh <laughs> good, good very well could happen man but i uh i'll bet against it you you, you go put your money on virginia you can laugh at my face when uh, when the cavaliers are uh losing 42 to seven and a half times in charlotte in december oh i'm not putting a dime on them to win the conference that's a dumb move <laughs> in my <laughs> mind <laughs> um yeah. Gosh, I had it pulled up earlier. I have odds on uh, teams to win the division. Uh, wait, damn. Let me pull it back up. I'll find it real quick. In, uh, in the meantime, let me pose let me pose a different question, Joey, while you're pulling that up. And I, and I think this will be an interesting discussion as well. Who do you guys think is the second best team in the Atlantic division? Or the team that will finish second? Maybe they're two different answers. Mm, I mean, I, I do think it's Syracuse. Uh, Florida State, you know, you can make a compelling case for them. If they solve the offensive line trouble, I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, so, Dino Babers, he's the best coach in the ACC, not named Davo Slaney. Uh, they might have the best quarterback in the conference, and Tommy DeVito, not named Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and, you know, that combination, I'm going to buy on that. Um, you know, I think you know, the one thing you have to worry about with Syracuse would be 
if they lose to Clemson, does that have a hangover effect on them the rest of the season? I mean, everybody is circling that game on the calendar. And, you know, if they were to, you know, lose that game, if let's say they lose it in an embarrassing fashion, does that kind of shake their psyche moving forward? Thankfully, they play Western Michigan at Holy Cross the next two weeks and then a bye. So they really don't have another meaningful game until mid-October. I, I think Syracuse will be able to shake off, you know, whatever it is that happens in that game against Clemson if they were to lose it. Uh, and I think that they, they end up finishing second in the Atlantic. I, but, you know, Florida State has more talent. They, they should be up there. I, I picked them to win the ACC last season. It didn't happen, obviously. Uh, if I had to pick another team, maybe, maybe Wake Forest. Fair. Fair. Yeah, I, I like Wake Forest as one of those teams to maybe jump up there. But I think I'm in agreement with you. I think it's Syracuse. I think Florida State's got a compelling case because, Josh, I do think the offensive line will be better for Florida State. Whether or not it's good enough to propel them to second-best team in the Atlantic is a whole different question. I mean, I, it's pretty hard to not be better than a year ago. Like, we talk about the Virginia Tech defense in that lens. It's hard not to be better when they were just so bad last year. Like, I think the Florida State offensive line will be better. And even if they're not that much better, I think the scheme will certainly help, right? So I think, um, you know, having the Kendall Bryles scheme will take some pressure off of that offensive line. And I think that'll help Florida State a bit. But as far as talent's concerned and the known commodity, I think having Tommy DeVito there, a guy who we saw play in limited action last year, looked very good. Four-star quarterback. They have Dino Babers, who's done wonders for that Syracuse program. I, I think... We shouldn't, we shouldn't overthink this, at least going into the year. I think the Orange are certainly the second most talented team in the Atlantic, but uh, that battle for third could be interesting with Florida State and, and a team that I mentioned earlier, Wake Forest, could potentially jump up there if, if everything falls right. I was going to say, as much as I like Dave Clawson, as much as I like the Demon Deacons in general, I I don't think they're particularly close to being the second best team in the Atlantic. I, I think that that's probably a discussion reserved for Syracuse and Florida State, um, and, and that's and that's purely because Florida State has that talent in place and ready to go. Um, it's it's not based on anything I saw last year, you know. And that very clearly was not the second best team in the Atlantic. So um, I, I think it's probably either the Orange or the Seminoles. I, I don't think I don't think Wake Forest quite has the talent to overtake everybody else not named Clemson there. Um, by the way, division odds. Um, and obviously, the Atlantic Division winner is uh, Clemson at minus a thousand. The next best bet, Florida State plus 675 and Syracuse at plus 1,200. I, there's, a, there's a pretty significant uh, little gap there, so keep that in mind. But what I thought was interesting is Coastal Division winner odds. And by the way, this is on my little neighborhood shop here. Uh, Miami at plus 200, Virginia plus 250, Virginia Tech plus 250. So those are all seen, at least from a public perception perspective, they're pretty even. Pittsburgh plus 500, Duke plus 1,400, North Carolina plus 1,800, Georgia Tech plus 2,500. So it, it pretty quickly starts spreading out after uh, Duke or after Pittsburgh at 5-1. to one. Um, So I don't know if any of that it would be worth a couple shekels for one of you, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a little tempted at the fun that might be a, a little 2.5 to 1 on Virginia. It's not bad. It's not bad. Odds. Yeah. I, hey – Look, I know we got to wrap up here shortly. I have two questions for you guys. Number one, we have a week zero game this weekend in the ACC that, Joey, I think this will be the last podcast we record before that game takes place. It so, be, yeah. It might be. And because it might be, um, do you guys give Miami any shot against Florida this weekend? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, Florida, now, 
having said that, Florida has dealt with a lot of turmoil this offseason. I do think the Gators are probably getting a little more love than they probably deserve right now. Uh, for all that was made about Virginia Tech's turbulent offseason, Florida, I think, was, was even worse. And uh, there hasn't been as much mention of that. But Felipe Frank's back. Uh, I like what they bring back on defense as well. Uh, this reeks to me of the same thing that happened a year ago. Miami comes out opening week uh, against an SEC team, top 10 team. And uh, we just see how wide the gap is between the upper echelon of the SEC and uh, the second tier of the ACC. Uh, I think Florida wins this game pretty easily. Uh, but, you know, hey, maybe Jaron Williams comes out. He looks like Johnny Mansell, and they, uh, they shock all of us. But I, I, I'm going Florida this weekend. Hey, Josh, if Jaron Williams doesn't look as good as, you know, Maybe some some people expect. I'll be keeping an eye on you this week on that Twitter feed, radio guy. Don't uh, don't be too hard on him against that Florida defense. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I just uh, Miami's another kind of team. I got to believe it. You know, see it to believe it. Uh, you know, they listen. Other than the LSU game a year ago, they have made a habit of getting off to fast starts. Uh, but I just think Florida's got too much depth right now. And, you know, Manny Diaz in his first game, I think, you know, there's a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. Uh, I, I just, I don't trust Miami to hit the ground running, firing on all cylinders. There's a lot more known qualities in Florida. So I, I feel like Florida's the safe pick. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, I think it would be a little dumb with a team like Miami, with the, t- the, the talent that they have, to say that they just have no chance of winning outright. But, like, I don't know that I'd give them more than like a 20% chance. And I, th- I think the best chance that they have of winning is using leveraging the talent on defense and really muddying up that game, keeping it a low-scoring game to where yeah. like one or two plays could make a huge difference in terms of the final score. I mean, I'm talking 14 to 10, and you, you got a pick six or something that you, you run back or you know something to that effect. I, I think you got to keep the total way – you got to keep the point total way under that 47 number that, that Vegas has given us there. I, I think that's the, the, the biggest chance that Miami has to win the game. But for what it's worth, I've got Florida minus seven. So I, I think that the Gators are going to win that game and, and fairly comfortably in my mind. Yeah. Uh, Mike, real quick, you want to go through a couple of win totals and then we'll be uh, maybe uh, head on out here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, rapid fire here. Uh, Clemson, 11 and a half. Over. Over. Wow. Josh? I'll say over. I'm tempted to go under. Uh, I don't like betting over 11 and a half, but uh, I I can't find a loss. I'll go over. Yeah, that's a rough number. If anything, I might have to bet under, but I I couldn't justify that particularly well. Um, Florida State, seven and a half. Over again. I think they go eight and four. I think they'll be better. I'm going to say under. And just barely. I think this is a seven-win team. Uh, I think Virginia on the road, Clemson on the road are losses. Florida's a loss. Miami's probably a loss. That's four. I think you find another loss in there somewhere. I'm going to go. I'm going to go slightly under. I think I lean with Mike going over, but I again, it's like an eight and four. I'd probably leave it alone. I don't feel great about actually uh, punching the number yeah. on that one. Uh, Miami at nine. Josh. Over. I'm oh. Over. I, th- I think I think they lose uh, the season opener, like I said, to Florida. But then that schedule just eases up a lot. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Denver, Virginia Tech are the two contenders in the Coastal. I think Miami goes ten and two, maybe even eleven and one. 
Joey, I said 10 and 2 on the Miami preview. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say over. But you know what? I, I think more than likely, first of all, I'm not betting this in real life. I'm not betting any of these that we've had so far. Uh, but that's that's a, that's a the team that, you know, I, I think could push that 10 win ceiling. We'll see what happens. Actually, you said 9 and 3 on the Miami preview because you split. Ooh, did I? Did I? Between me and Cam. Yes, you did. Ooh, okay. Okay. That's right. You said 8 and 4. He said 10 and 2. Okay. Well, you know what? Like I said, not betting it. It's right on the money. Uh, man, yeah, nine wins sounds about right. That nine or ten win range. I'll say over for the sake of this podcast, but not by much. I Yeah, I lean under. Not only I said they would go eight and four, but I think there's a little bit of – there's always going to be a little bit of implosion potential with Miami in a new coaching staff and an unsettled quarterback situation and all that. So um, I, I would consider under before I would uh, consider over there. Uh, Boston College at six. Under. Five and seven. Oof. I'm going to say push, probably. <laughs> yeah, this is another tough one. I'll, I will lean over. I mean, they have the best running back in the ACC. Uh, if they can they can solve the offensive line issues, obviously a lot of questions there. Uh, I know you, you're spot on, but Adazio has got a lot of pressure on him this season. But I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly go over. I mean, probably a push, but I think Boston College can get to seven wins. I think that's reasonable. I think I picked him at seven and five on the preview, actually, just because that's that seems like the smart money play with an Adazio team right now. That's what they do. That game's a big one. Yeah, it will be. Thank you for saying that. That could that could change things because their November schedule is brutal. Syracuse, Florida State, Notre Dame. Actually, well, Clemson. They go back October. They play Clemson, Syracuse back to back on the road. Then Florida State, Notre Dame. They're going to have to load all up on some wins early. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that Virginia Uh, Tech game could determine a lot of things there in that opener. That's a huge tone setter for sure. Um, Duke at five and a half. I think I'm under. I'm under there too. No Daniel Jones, no bowl game. I'm going under on Duke. Not getting the warm fuzzies there. Uh, Georgia Tech at four. <laughs> Lay it on me, Josh. Lay it on me. Let me know. What do you got? You got under? <laughs> Joey, I hate this. I hate this so much. God, I hate this so much. Um, yeah, Josh, I'm with you. I'm not putting a single dollar on this in real life. Um, man, four wins sounds like the ceiling, doesn't it? It really does sound like the ceiling. Joey, I know you're a little bit more optimistic with five, but even you said, you know, five or six win season would, you know, anything beyond that would be cherry on top. I'm going to say, uh, I'll say over, Joey. I'm doing it for you, but I'm not, I'm not betting this. I think four and eight sounds about right. Yeah. The only reason I, I might actually consider a couple of bucks on the over is that the over is plus 140, and you get the chance of a push at four wins exactly, is what I'm looking at. So. Yep. Yeah. So if you feel decent about them getting to at least four wins, then you might as well take your odds. I guess I'm getting getting past that at plus one forty. But you know, 
don't uh, don't think too long or too hard about that. Coastal's uh, a mess too. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh, Louisville at three and a half. Under. I, yeah, I think under. Schedule's <laughs> awful. Man, I I want to say over just because I really love Scott Satterfield. Yeah. Uh, NC State at seven and a half. I think we got to go under on that. That's at least I got to go under on that. I told you I'm skeptical of Dave Doran. I'm going under as well, barely though. I'm going to go under. Um, I like Doran a lot more than you do, Joey. Uh, I think he's actually done more with less. I get the angle you took with the NFL talent, but I should give him credit for developing a lot of that talent. But you lose, you lose Eli Drinkle with Appalachian State, uh, so new offensive system, new offensive coordinator at least. New quarterback. Uh, I think there's too much to replace offensively. I'll, I'll go under for them in a pretty tough position. Yeah, that was my thought. With all that to replace, needing, needing eight wins to go over seems like a ton. Uh, North Carolina at five. That seems like way too many. Under, 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 under. Are we just picking unders for all of these? Interesting. That, I think that's reasonable. I, um, yeah, that seems like a higher number than I was expecting, but I can see it. Um, here's a number that I'd probably lean over on. Pittsburgh at six. Um, six even, you know, you figure they might push. I don't know that they're going to go less than six and six here. So I'm going to say over. I'm saying, man, I, I'm saying under for everything. I'm saying under for Pitt here too. I, I think Pitt could suck. <laughs> so... That's where I'm at. I don't trust. I don't trust. I don't trust Pink. Uh, I just don't trust Pickett at all. I running game. I, you know they got some talent, but it's unproven. I just don't love Pittsburgh. I'm gonna go under. <laughs> I think Pittsburgh could be 0 and 4 to start the season. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go under on them. I mean, Ooh. they get Virginia and Ohio at home. Ohio might be the best team in the MAC. Uh, Penn State's a definite loss. I think Pittsburgh, I think they get off to a rough start, and I think it snowballs. I, I think the Pitt team is going to take a huge step back this year. I, I mentioned a lot of the reasons why before. Uh, I'm going to go under on Pitt. I think that's a, that's an interesting take. I, I I would be curious to see if they could snowball. I, I think that you're, you're right. If it starts that poorly, it might go downhill pretty quickly. Um, Wake Forest at six. I think, Mike, you're leaning over here. Oh, I'm, I'm over on this one, boys. I think seven and five, an easy seven and five. Um, I think the schedule plays out nicely. Eight and four, definitely not out of the question. I think the absolute ceiling, perfect situation, everything goes 100% well. And like like they drew it up in the preseason, I think you can get to nine wins. But I think more than likely it's seven and five or eight and four. And I think Wake Forest can get there. Fellas, this is the lock of the conference. Uh-oh. They, 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 could be, they could be seven. They could be over by October 19th. I said earlier, I really do think Wake Forest, I'm 
might be wrong. You can come back and, and laugh in my face in, in a couple weeks if they lose an early game. But I think Wake Forest could be six and zero, maybe even seven and zero to start the season. I, I, they have a shot to win, legitimate chance to win all seven of those games. I'm, I'm buying Wake Forest, man. I think I love what Dave Cross has built. Um, I, I mean, they're not going to challenge Clemson. They're not going to challenge Syracuse. I mean, they're they're at best third best team probably in the division. But I think they get off to a great start. I'm rocking. I'll over on All right, I'm writing this down. Josh says Wake could be seven and zero, and we will revisit that you one day. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got three more. Probably the most important three here. Uh, Syracuse seven and a half. Over. Seven and a half. Yeah, how can you not say over? I think it's probably over. I think I, I mean I think this this tops out maybe like ten and two. I think they could be pretty damn good. I, I don't know they're going to win. I feel like they're not going to go worse than like seven and five. So I, I think you got a pretty it good feels chance. Feels like something Vegas knows that we don't. I mean this, this team looks like you said. I mean they, they look like a nine or a ten win team. I, I, I don't know. I mean I feel like Vegas is trying to trap me here, but yeah, I, I would have to say over. Joey, what's the juice there on the over? Minus one twenty five on the over, which isn't great. Not great, but I'm taking it. <laughs> minus minus four five on the under. Surprisingly, not much value there either. Yeah. All right, last two. Virginia at seven and a half. I'm going over. I, I say eight and four. I've been on record with that, so I'm gonna stick with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going over on Virginia. I mean, not by much, not not by much, but but I do think this team goes over. I mean. Like I said, I think they were a little bit of fool's gold last year, but they have uh, as much of a combination of talent and experience as anybody in the Coastal. They, you know, Miami will be the other one. So I'll, I'll lean slightly over on Virginia. I don't think they win the division, but I think they go 8-4. I'll, I'll go slide over. I'm going to I'm gonna say over as well. I think the, the interesting thing here is that the under at 7.5 is at plus 125, which – I think if you're if you're looking, you think that Bryce Perkins can't survive a full season or something without Jordan Ellis and some of the guys. I mean, that might not be a terrible bet because again, it could kind of go downhill pretty quickly if you were to get hurt or something to that effect. So, but I, I tend to agree. Over is probably the right play there. And then lastly, your Virginia Tech Hokies uh, at eight. Josh over eight at minus one fifty five seems like a, a lot of juice to lay there. Yeah, um, I mean they're doing that for a reason. Because it, it, it seems tempting to go over eight. The schedule's there. I mean, if you look right now, there are two games that you look at and say, all right, realistically, losses. It's at Miami October 5th, it's at Notre Dame November 2nd. Can they go eight and two the rest of the way and at least get you to a push? And asking a lot, uh, I'll say they can. I'll say Virginia Tech with an experienced offense. With a quarterback you can trust in Ryan Willis, he's not going to win a ton of games for you, but I don't think he's going to lose you games. I think that the offense will do enough. I think the defense with 11 guys back with starting experience, I think this defense takes a huge step forward from last year. And while it's not a vintage Bud Foster defense, it's good enough to get them at least to that eight-win mark. I think Virginia Tech goes 10-2 this year and wins the ACC. Guys, I'm going over too. Um, I think at worst, I, I think the floor is a push. I, I have trouble seeing them 
lose more than four games with this schedule alone. I mean, they'd really have to implode. They'd have to have injuries at major positions. The defense would have to be as bad as it was a year ago. It would have to be a doomsday scenario, in my opinion, for them to be seven and five. I, I really don't see it with the schedule. I, I think it works. You're pushing here. So I'm going to lean over. Um, and I think the defense will be better. I, I, I'm on the Ryan Willis train, man. Um, if we get the same version of Ryan Willis as a year ago, like, yeah, he's not going to win you a ton of games. And no, he's not going to lose you a ton either. But if we get any sort of tangible improvement out of Ryan Willis, I mean, this could be one of the one of the better quarterbacks in the conference this year uh, and a guy who could surprise some people. So I'm going I'm to lean over on Virginia Tech. I think the floor is eight wins and you at least get a push out of it. I was going to say, I feel like the, the number is probably about right at eight for me. Um, I think put it this way is that if, if Virginia Tech comes in under eight wins, Justin Fuente has probably got some pretty tough questions going to have to start answering because this this schedule, again, is reasonably easy, reasonably conducive to, to winning a whole bunch of games this year. So I, I think that over is probably uh, in everybody's best interest there, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to see. Um, all right, Josh, you got any uh, any playoff predictions? Who do you think is going to make the Final Four? thing <laughs> Me too. I, you know, I do my jp top 25 once the season starts i just i like to see these teams play games but i'll play along uh alabama and clemson are in uh i think that uh, i'm gonna say penn state wins the big 10 in a, a bit of a surprise i know I, and now huge game between them and michigan in early october in happy valley i think it's october 19th I think Penn State actually surprisingly wins the Big Ten, gets in. That's my, my my plot twist. And I think that Oklahoma gets in. And I think Georgia's left on the outside looking in. I, I like Jalen Hurts to come in, and he won't win the Heisman. He won't be Baker. He won't be Kyler. But they're going to have the best rushing attack in college football. Alex Grinch is, is going to revitalize that defense to at least the point where they're passable. And I think the Sooners win a pretty manageable Big 12 and get in. But Penn State's my, my kind of dark horse here. Another team to keep an eye on is Oregon. I do like Oregon, but uh, I'll go with those four. I feel like Oregon is really going to regret playing Auburn when it comes to uh, like mid-November. Is Not the, if they win. Well, we'll, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. <laughs> I, I, I might be foreshadowing a pick for next week, but boys, I, I, I like the Ducks. Ruh row. Tune in. Uh, Mike, who you got? Yeah, Alabama and Clemson. I'm I'm in with those two. I like Oklahoma as well. Um, it's really hard to pick against a guy who went 26 and two as a starter at Alabama, and he's now joining up with a head coach in Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, who's groomed two Heisman winners in the last two years, right back to back. It's really hard to hate that. Um, I, I like Oklahoma coming out of the Big 12. I, I think that they're in in the playoff. Um, so I'm going with Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. And Josh, I agree with you. I think Georgia's on the outside looking in. And I just wrote an article today um, over at Saturday Blitz on, on who I think my playoff sleeper is. And it's Utah coming out of the Pac-12. I love how the schedule sets up. They have talent on offense and defense returning. They're one of the best defenses in college football last year statistically. They're returning a lot of that production. Uh, offensively, they got Tyler Huntley back. They have Zach Moss back, one of the best running backs in the Pac-12. And I love Kyle Whittingham as a head coach. And he's just built a really consistent product there. And 
The schedule sets up quite nicely. They don't face Oregon in the regular season, but they would get them in a Pac-12 championship game. So that's something to consider, obviously, uh, when talking about your Oregon pick, Josh. And I I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to go out on too far of a limb with Utah. um, And I know it's kind of a a sleeper pick, but I want to be a little bit different here because I also hate playoff predictions as we sit here in August. But I think Utah is a team that can surprise a lot of people in the Pac-12. They're picked to win the conference, right? But I think they can do so in a manner in which they could get to a playoff, right? 12-0, maybe 13-0 if you count the uh, conference championship game. And if they do that, that'll be a nice surprise and a little bit of a different flavor here in the, in the playoff come uh, come January. I'm going to go with Alabama and Clemson with you guys. I, I think those are the, probably the, the obvious picks. I'm going to also stay with you guys saying I think Georgia gets left out. I think that uh, I think Michigan's coming out of the Big Ten, and this is one of your uh, one of your classic like famous last words moments. But I think this is I think this is the year that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan <laughs> put it together. I'll take them coming out of the Big Ten, and I'll take gosh, I don't know, I don't I don't love o- Oklahoma. I don't I don't know I, about the Big Twelve teams. I don't know if anybody really separates themselves. Same thing with the Pac twelve. I, I think Oregon potentially, but I think again they're gonna. I think they're going to hurt from having played Auburn to start the year, and I think they're going to start with a loss. You know what? Like, what the hell? I'm just going to go with Texas here. I think this is that's a probably it's probably a pretty irresponsible pick. I love that. I mean, I mean this is the guy that picked Wisconsin last year, so you know I, I almost had it right. But um, I'm going to go with Texas. I mean, they've got the quarterback coming back and, and a lot of talent kind of all over the field. Uh, I don't know. This feels like a terrible pick. I don't know who the fourth team is, but I don't feel like it's Georgia. Hey, guys, real quick. I have something that's kind of relevant. Just came across the bottom line of Sports Center. Auburn just announced that Bo Nix, a true freshman, will be starting the opener against Oregon. So um, hmm. I don't love that. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, Bo, N- Bo Nix, number one dual threat kid. I think he's got a bright future. Gus Malzahn's got a lot riding on this game. Oregon is the more experienced team. They're going to have certainly the better quarterback in that game. Great defensive line. I, I mean, hey, listen, it's a toss-up game. If Oregon wins, I think they might have might give themselves a mulligan in the Pac-12 schedule that they may need. So I, I, I think Oregon goes 11-1, and one, uh, and depending on how things shake out around them, they could get in. The perception of the Pac-12 is going to hurt them. Yep. But they go 11-1, and one, and one of those wins is against an SEC team. I do think Oregon at least is going to have a strong case come selection Sunday. That's fair. All I know about Oregon-Auburn, Dyer was down. Dyer's <laughs> knee was <laughs> down. You got it, yeah. Absolutely. Josh, uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been a remarkably thorough preview. You've been incredibly gracious with your time here. Really appreciate you coming on with us. It's always fun having you on. Um, you want to tell the people where they can find you and your stuff if they're uh, ever out looking for it? Yeah, no problem. Obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh Parcell. I am on Twitter. I'm on Instagram as well if you like pictures of my dog. Um, and I'm on the radio every week, uh, Monday through Friday. Wilson and Parcell, 10 to 2 in Charlotte. You can listen on radio.com. We talk ACC football all the time. And I have a new show uh, debuting in September. You guys get a little inside scoop here. Uh, The Final Drive with Josh Parcell. It'll be a football show Tuesdays through Fridays, weeknights uh, from 6 to 7. You can also stream it on radio.com. Love it. Well, congratulations on the new show. Yeah, we'll definitely be tuning into that. And, um, again, appreciate your time here. Look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Thanks, guys. We'll talk ball. Enjoy the season. Absolutely, you as well. 
All right, Mike, that is Josh Parcell. Um, that was a brilliant preview for the conference. We've gone way over time here. We need to wrap it up, so we will do so. Uh, once again, we're not, I don't think we're going to have a preview episode for the Week Zero game. We will come back and recap it before we preview the, the Week 1 games proper next week. Joey, real quick, don't mean to cut you off. I didn't provide a pick for the game, I realized. Like, I went on a tangent about, you know, quarterbacks <laughs> and stuff, but I didn't provide a pick. Uh, Florida wins, and they cover seven. So, all right. Are you, are you invested in that as I am? Oh, I'm invested, Joey, with my first bet of the year. Oh, I'm invested, buddy. Feels good to have some action going, man. It's it's getting back in the saddle. We back, uh, baby. We back. That's right. Um, all right, Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and preview week one games at some point in the near future. Uh, but in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can go follow Josh Parcell on Twitter at Josh Parcell. Um, all one word. Just go uh, check him out. Uh, he's, again, a lot of good North Carolina coverage in general, of, you know, North Carolina sports and the ACC, of course. So go check him out. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, Breaker, and on the Anchor platform. Uh, we are in all those places and would really appreciate you guys going and finding us and hitting the subscribe button. That helps us a lot. Uh, Mike, they can send us their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. And thank you for coming back and helping me out with this outro. If there's one thing that failed me on that solo podcast, it was the outro. Man, I butchered that so bad. Oh, that, if, I don't know that you butchered it, A. And B, I would say that uh, that was you know a pretty solid, solid little solo podcast. So I highly recommend to go check that out if you haven't already. Um, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. Um, really solid preview. Thanks again to Josh for joining us. Um, a lot of people view him as a hot take artist on social media, but he was pretty knowledgeable about the ACC as he tends to be. So it was really good to have him back on the show. We'll have to do that again soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, we will be back sometime soon. And until next time for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until then. Go ACC.